Hey, this is Evan Jackson, Video Production Director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. All right, folks. We are in our last week of our Flex series. And we are going to learn what it takes to flex spiritual muscles. Okay? And today, the title of today's message is Inevitable inevitable. And the big idea is this. The consequences of sin are inevitable, but God's purposes are equally certain. Consequences of sin are inevitable, but God's purposes are equally certain. We're going to read, a, we're going to read the entirety of chapter 16 today. So start paging over there, 16 of Judges, okay? So I'll give you a couple minutes to get there. But this passage is, is kind of important to understanding the entire narrative of the book, of the story of, of Samson. God will accomplish what he sets out to do. And we are asked to partner in that great mission. God's got a plan. We are asked to partner in that plan. God is not ultimately reliant on our obedience. Think about that. But we are completely reliant on his power. I'll say that again. God is not ultimately reliant on our obedience as an individual, yet we are completely reliant on his power. The story of Samson begs the question up to this point, right? Can vital boundaries of faith be violated with impunity? Does sin not have any consequences? Can one dance on the edge of unbelief and play with the power of God and remain safe? Apart from chapter 16, we might say yes. I mean, 14 and 15, he's just going on his life. He's doing his thing. He's not doesn't seem to be any, any fallout majorly, a little bit here and there, but the pass that Samson seems to receive in chapters 14 and 15 come to an abrupt and brutal climax of consequence in 16. So turn your, your, your Bibles with me to Judges 16. I'm going to read this in two parts, and uh, I, would, I would love for you to follow along with me. Here we go. Verse 1, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. When the uh, Gazites heard that Samson was there, they surrounded the place and waited in an ambush for him all that night at the city gate. They they, they, They kept quiet all night, saying, let's wait until dawn, then we will kill him. But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight, then he got up took hold of the doors of the city gates along with the two gateposts and pulled them out bar and all. That's not enough. What does he do with them? He put them on his shoulders and took them to the top of a mountain overlooking Hebron. Of course he did. He took the gates of a, gates of a city, put them on his shoulders, and carried them up a hill. Verse 4, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. Can we see a, cons- a pattern with Samson here? 
he's got a lady issue. He does. I mean, the guy can't control himself. He's got some serious problems. He fell in love with a Delilah who lived in Sorak Valley. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell you where his strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So we find out that Delilah has a money problem. Samson has a lady problem. Delilah has a money problem. Therefore, there are two problems that we're really going to feed each other here. There's dysfunction everywhere. It doesn't even tell her that she agreed. It just goes into the narrative. So it must have been a really quick decision. <laughs> so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me. I wish I could do the, like, the seductive lady voice, but I'm not going to do it. Just imagine it in your head, okay? Please tell me where does your strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? Samson told her, if they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I would be like a weak, I would become weak and be like any other man. The Philistine leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. While the man in ambush were waiting in their, her room, they were waiting in her room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when it's touched with fire. The secret of his strength remained unknown. Now, if Samson had any sense at all, if he didn't have the lady problem that he has, that would be enough. I mean, think about it. He told her his secret, and she exploited it. He should have run for the hills. Maybe with gates of the city. Either way, he should have gone. But our buddy here doesn't do it. Number 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me and told me lies. Well, yeah. Won't you please tell me how you can be tied up? This is so bizarre. He told her, if they tie me up with new ropes that have never been used, I will become weak and be like any other man. <laughs> Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in the ambush were waiting in her room, he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have mocked me all along and told me lies. Tell me how I can tie you up. So weird. He told her, If you weave the seven braids in my head into a fabric in the loom, she fastened his braids... <laughs> She fastened the braids with a pin and called to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. He woke from the sleep and pulled out. He sleeps a lot. Dude is so tired. He woke from his sleep and pulled out the pin with the loom and the web. How can you say you love? I love you, she told him, when you, your heart is not with me. All right. So... First, she ties him up. 
And then she ties him up. And then she ties him up by braiding his hair into fabric. That's what a loom, she, she like literally braided it into like a blanket. <laughs> the Samson blanket. And she continued, he just, what you understand is this. I want you to understand this right now. Samson believes that no matter what he does, he's not going to get bit. No matter what he plays around with, he's not going to pay a consequence. Here we go. This is the third time you've mocked me and told me what makes your your strength so great. Because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out. No commentary. He told her the whole truth and said to her, My hair has never been cut because I'm a Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah realized that he had told her his whole, the whole truth, she sent the message to the Philistine leaders, come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her and uh, brought the uh, silver with them. <laughs> they, they came and brought the money finally. Then she let him fall asleep on her lap. This guy's like got narcolepsy or something. Just keeps falling asleep. So, She let him fall asleep on her lap and called the men to shave off the seven braids of his head. In this way, she made him helpless, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, this is very important to understand his his reaction to this. Ready? When he woke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before. And shake myself free. You see where his assumption was? That it wasn't going to hurt him. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson likely did not realize that Delilah was in league with the Philistine lords. Now, you have to understand here, they said that they were, the Philistines were waiting in her room, right? It does not say that they ever came out. There's no brutality here. There's no Samson beating the pants off Philistines each and every time. What we're, what we're having here is we're having a coy relationship with a woman. She, he, he thinks he's just playing with her. Uh, and it's not until the end that uh, the Philistines actually come out and, and, and take him. Because when he gets up and snaps the ropes, they, they probably stayed in the room. <laughs> they probably snuck out the window. Uh-oh, we're not, we're, that didn't work. So we have this relationship that is toxic. He knew that his lover had tested each of his other claims, so he must have known she would try shaving his head. Think about it. We have a pr- repeated pattern here. We must, he must have assumed that she would, if she weaved his hair into a blanket or a piece of cloth, Samson cloth, then she had to, the assumption is that yeah he's probably she's probably gonna shave my head at some point or other. If he didn't, he was an idiot. 
He had violated his Nazarite vow before without losing his strength. We read about that in the last few chapters. Touched dead bodies, drank wine, all this stuff. He was just off, he was out unhinged. Which explains his lack of concern for this last item. But shaved, the shaving the head of a Nazarite, okay, take Samson out of the story. Take Samson out of this equation. The Nazarite vow, when you shave your head as a Nazarite, it represents the end of your vow. It's basically like a clean slate. Yeah, like Ignacio's head. And, uh, and the idea is like, this is the end. This is the end of the vow. I, I've, I've done it for a certain period of time. I've kept clean. And now I'm shaving my head to, to signify that the vow is now over. That was the vow. Samson was unique in the fact that he was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth, from the womb. Never to shave his head. But when he shaved his head, it wasn't just about his hair. People will talk about his hair. Why was his hair so important? It wasn't about the hair. It was about his vow, his purpose, right? By allowing his head to be shaved, Samson didn't just violate his vow. He renounced it completely. It was over. The example of Samson is so vital for us to understand. We see a progression in the narrative with Delilah. He allows her to put him in compromising situations over and over again. He is so compromised by this woman. Each time he is tested, he is able to defeat the enemy. But he allows his temptations to wear him down and gives up more and more of himself with each new temptation. Think about that. What is the progression? One, the first time. Dabbles with danger. Second time, continues to play with sin, meaning not running for the hills when Delilah tried to trick him the first time, right? Thought he was invincible. Third time, he allows sin to touch his vow. Before, it was just all about ropes and stuff. When he started playing with his hair, he started to crack open that door to his vow. Sin, dabbling with sin and not running from sin, Cause him to open the door wider and wider, right? And then the fourth time, he gives himself completely over to the enemy. All the while thinking that sin would never catch up with him. All of a sudden, he's shackled and blind and in a dungeon. That is the progression of sin. Not just for Samson, but everybody. The devastating consequences of sin may not be immediate, but they are inevitable. They are inevitable. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says this, and I want you to understand that this particular passage is being spoken to Christians. This is Paul talking to a church. And he says this, Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Sin has consequences, and it may not happen the first, the second, the third 
But sin will destroy. Sin destroys, period. Samson was fatally unwise in sharing his secret with Delilah. His wellness, uh, willingness to do so seems traceable to his lack of appreciation for two things. He lacked appreciation for these two things. He failed to appreciate his personal calling by God. And secondly, he failed to appreciate the fact that his strength lay solely in God's power working through him as a holy instrument. God's power. He, he, refused, he, he, he neglected to appreciate these two things. He had a calling on his life. God had called him. He didn't appreciate that call. And he didn't appreciate where his strength came from. These are the same failures that Israel manifests and which resulted in he, uh, her experiencing a fate similar to Samson's during the period of the judges. Samson's life mirrors Israel in so many ways. We'll get to that in a little bit. They have caused many other servants of God to fall since, since Samson's day. This is a common pattern. In a reaction, in a reaction to the judgmental legalism of the past generation. The contemporary church has opened its arms to the lost and unbelieving. Right? Contemporary church. The, the word that we hear a lot in our, in our church culture is seeker-friendly. Seeker-friendly. Right? Many churches in, uh, admirably declare their acceptance of all persons regardless of the moral failures, their brokenness, rightly declaring that the gospel is a message of free grace for broken, bankrupt sinners. And that is great. They see the church as a trauma center for those shattered by sin. That is a good thing. But at the same time, the same Christian community struggles with corruption, immorality, power abuse, Materialism, divorce, child abuse, spousal abuse, and addiction. In stressing God's grace to sinners, we must stress the vital balancing message that sin harms harm persons deeply. Sin will harm you. It's not okay. Sin is not okay. Our, our doors are wide open for every human being, but... The goal of becoming a Christian is to change. We shouldn't be the same. The, 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 the life of a believer should morph into something else. My, my littlest daughter, they have a class now, and they're, 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 their emphasis for the last two weeks has been on insects. On insects. And she came home the other day, and she was so excited, and she told me, Daddy... Did you know that cocoons are for moths, not butterflies? A chrysalis is for butterflies. I said, whoa, you don't say. She says, yeah, Daddy, we have a bunch of caterpillars in our school, and they have all made chrysalises. And I said, oh, wow, what else going to happen in that chrysalis? Well, Daddy, she's like, Talks like a little adult because she's parroting back exactly what the teachers say, right? 
Well, they are going to go through a metamorphosis. Uh, something like that. She tried to say metamorphosis. It was awesome. A metamorphosis. And it's going to take eight days. I didn't know that. Eight days. And then they're going to come out, and they're going to be butterflies. They're going to be totally changed. They're, they went, they, uh, she said, they were kind of gross looking when they went in. It must have been something they talked about. They're kind of gross looking, wormy things when they went in, but when they come out, they're going to be beautiful. And I was thinking, I'm going to use that in a sermon. And I just did. Think about it. Think about it. What happens in that, not cocoon, chrysalis, is, is a death, really. It's a, it's a metamorphosis. It's a change. That's what should happen in a Christian's life. Now, it will take more than eight days. Some things will happen like that. Some things will happen like that. It will. Desires you have will change. I was talking to Winslow this morning. Things change. Desires for things change. But change is part of the thing. We don't want to be dabbling with sin in our Christian walk. We want to metamorphosize into something that's far more um, mobile. Think about it for a second. Without that metamorphosis, that caterpillar will live on like a three-inch square space. They don't travel much. They eat a leaf, maybe two, and then they go into their chrysalis. But once they come out, they can travel cross-country. It's amazing. They become something completely other. Isn't that cool? That's what we're supposed to become. Something's supposed to change. If you're not having victories in your life over sin, then you need, you need to think about where am I with the Lord? Have I, took it, have I took for grant, taken for granted God's calling on my life? And have I denied his power in my life? Okay, let's finish the story. Judges chapter 16, verse 22. Oh, I was supposed to go through 21. I didn't. I'm sorry. 21 says this. The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They gouged him out. They brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze shackles and he was forced to grind grain in the prison. Okay, verse 22. But, remember what I said about this? Always circle the butts in Scripture. But his hair began to grow back after he had been shaved. Now the Philistines' leaders gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon. They rejoiced and said, Our God has handed over our enemy Samson to us. When the people saw them, they praised their God and said, Our God has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and who multiplied our dead. Can I just pause there for a second? This is not even in my notes, but it's just coming to me right now. When Christians fall, it reflects 
on our God. When Christians fall, it reflects on our God. Not that God is, not that God is uh, weak or God is not able. It's that they have a false understanding that, that God is not as powerful. And that's a shame. And we've seen it time and time again in Christian leaders throughout the world. And I have to say, as a pastor, but for the grace of God, there go I. But, there's that but again. But I have to stay vigilant. We have to be vigilant. We have to be separate. We have to be holy. All right, let's keep going. Because they, 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 they had an impression of the God of Israel that was false because Samson was false. When they were in good spirits, they said, bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison, and he juggled, no, it doesn't say that, and he entered, entertained them. They had, they had him stand between the pillars. Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of men and women, and the leaders of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. He called out to God, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and leaned against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed them with all his might, and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And those he killed at his death were more than those he had killed in his life. Then his brothers and his father's family came down, carried him back, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol. In the tomb of his father Manoah. So he judged Israel 20 years. And that is the story of Samson. It's tragic. So important to understand in this narrative that repentance does not remove all consequences of sin. I'm going to just let that sink in for a second. Man, this is something I would talk to my youth groups about. Talk to my youth groups about. Repentance does not remove all the consequences of sin. Decisions made at a young age, bad decisions made at a young age, will dog people for a long time. It's important to, for us to understand that God has given us this. This, coupled with the Holy Spirit, is so amazingly powerful. This amazing gray matter that God has put in our, in our heads, coupled with the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is so powerful. We've got to use it. Because repentance does not necessarily mean removal of all consequences of sin. But God stands ready to restore the penitent sinner to full relationship with him. Samson is not just Samson. He is also Israel. And he is us. 
he is separated uh, from other men, but he longs to be like them, right? Just as Israel is separated from other nations, but continually is drawn to them. He goes after foreign women as Israel goes after foreign gods. He suffers for his willfulness as Israel does for its. And in his bondage, he cries out to Yahweh as Israel has repeatedly done. Samson is Israel reduced to a single man. Having hit rock bottom, Samson finally yields to the Lord's will. Why does it take us hitting rock bottom to finally look up? Why, does it th- why is that the way it is? It's crazy. Why does it take us hitting rock bottom for us to look where we always should have been looking? His hair began to grow back. But his strength did not return with his hair. Notice that. The Bible gives us, and that narrative is kind of confusing because it makes it sound like, well, while he was, you know, grinding grain in the prison, his hair began to grow back and the power started to come back with it. No, it's actually the opposite of that. His hair began to grow back and he was still grinding grain. It had nothing to do with his hair. He's not some superhero with a hair talisman that gives him strength. He is a regular guy that the Holy Spirit empowered to do incredible things. Next week is Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to talk about ordinary people that God empowers by His Spirit to do extraordinary things. Not just in Samson's day, not just in the early church, but today. 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 His hair going back symbolizes the restoration of his relationship with God, not his restoration of strength. He remained blind and weak until he cried out to the Lord. Samson's humiliation cured his prideful self-reliance and forced him to recognize that God was and had always been his source of strength. Why is it that it often takes us so long and we have to go down so far before we look up? We believe that we can dabble with sin and not get bit by it. Then when we do get bit, (laughs) we are surprised somehow. What happened? What's going on here? I thought I was a child of God. Yeah, but you're doing stupid stuff. Stupid is as stupid does. You're doing stupid stuff. You think it's not going to bite you? Of course it's going to bite you. Don't be surprised when it does. And we look at God with a bit of frustration and disappointment that he didn't save his child from consequences. If somebody is walking in the direction of a cliff, and you say, be careful, there's a cliff over there, 
You shouldn't go that way. There's a cliff. Be careful. You're going to die. There's a cliff over there. It's dangerous. Stop going that direction. Don't go that way. Off limits. Stop, stop, stop. Don't. Oh, he did. If you keep walking down the road that God has said, put a billboard saying, don't go down that road. Don't do that. And you go over the edge. It's on you. God has given you your brain, coupled with his word and the Holy Spirit, for billboards in directioning, uh, directing you where to go. Then we realize that there's nowhere else to turn. We look for God to, for deliverance. Oh, finally we come to our senses. Unfortunately, the consequences of rebellion linger in our bodies, in our minds, in our relationships, and like we talked about with Samson, in our testimony. And that's pretty bleak. But let me just, let me, let me lighten it up here a second, okay? Samson still, his life should still be an encouragement to all believers. Why? When he turns, when he turns, you know what, you know what that mean, that word turn means? Repent. That's all it means. Repent means turn. That's all it means. Simple. It's a very churchy word for a very small word. Turn. You see, you, do you realize that you see the word repent all over the place? Whenever you see a sign that has a little U on it, says turn or no U-turn, it basically means repent or don't repent. <laughs> you, you are allowed to or you're not. They're all over the place. It's just turn. When Samson experiences, uh, experiences this, he turns and God is right there for his deliverance. Unfortunately, the consequences of his rebellion are still there. Okay? When he turns to the Lord he, uh, and learned to fully rely on him, his strength returned. When Samson repents and relies on God, his strength comes back. And that's, that's, a, that's a message for us today, too. Your strength relies, your strength relies on you're putting your relationship back together with God, all right? The record of Samson's experience teaches us that God will use people who are far from perfect. Can anybody say amen? Thank you, Jesus. In fact, the entire Bible is a testament to that very truth. You know why the entire Bible is full of examples of Imperfect people being used by God because every human being is imperfect. If he didn't use imperfect people, he wouldn't use humans, period. God is patient with his sinning servants, even though his patience doesn't ex exempt us from the consequences. There is still hope in this lifetime, that God may yet again use his servants, whom he may have had to set aside because of their sin. I'd like to tell a, a fictional story about the, the life of Abraham, right? What if the angel of the Lord went to the tent next to Abraham first, 
And the guy and said, you know what? I want to I make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And through your children the, and your children's children, the entire world are going to be blessed. But I need you to leave. And I need you to go to a land that I will show you. And the guy rolled over and went back to bed. So the angel of the Lord went next door to Abraham. And Abraham said, yes, I'll go. And he went. And the entire Bible is based on the, but we never heard about the guy in the tent before because God had to pass over him in order to use somebody who was willing. How many people in the Bible, I should say, how many people who are not in the Bible that God wanted to use, but they would not turn? How many, how many names do we not know about? How many disciples did Jesus call that said no? We know of one, the rich young ruler. Even Judas followed him. The rich young ruler is like, I'm not going there. I can't do it. We don't know his name. You realize that? The rich young ruler has no name. Well, he had one, but we don't know it. We even know Judas's name. We don't know the rich young ruler's name. Because he was unwilling. It all depends on whether they truly repent or we truly repent and rededicate ourselves to him. The story of Samson ends with a note of hope. Both for the apostate Israel and for all of God's wayward children. God's purposes cannot be thwarted by human sin. God's purposes will not be thwarted by human sin. Our shame does not diminish his power. God is in control and will accomplish everything he says through us or in spite of us. It may be a painful journey, but in the end, God's promises will prevail. It is inevitable. It is inevitable. Next week, we're going to talk about the Pentecost. And then the next series we're going to talk about is called Promises. See, if God's promises are going to prevail, I want to get in on them. I want to get in. I want to be used by God. I want to experience the promises of God's word. I don't want to see them go by. I want my name to be added to the roster not somebody else's because I refuse to turn. The consequences of sin, though may not be instantaneous, they are inevitable. But so are the promises of God. God said, if my people will turn, Right? From their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven. So today, if you are dabbling with something, if you are sensing that God is calling you to turn from a sin that you know has either bitten you or will bite you in the past, or what about this, Pastor? What about things that aren't necessarily a sin but are not profitable? There's some things I should probably not be putting into my life. 
They're not necessarily a sin, but they're not helping me at all. Maybe you're watching too much news. It's not necessarily a sin to watch news. Maybe some channels are just sin to watch news. <laughs> but it's not necessarily, but it's not good for you. It's not profitable. Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you turn from that. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a sin. I don't know. What is God talking to you about today? Power, the power of God lies in repentance and restoration. Repentance and restoration. If you've got something in your life that you need to repent for today, I want to pray with you, and I want you to lift that thing up. And I want you to think about what's the other direction? Where, where could I go? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now as I pray for myself. We all have stuff. We're all struggling in one way or another. And you know that. You're patient with us. And you extend so much grace. And I think your heart mourns when we continually struggle because you have provided the power through your Holy Spirit to have victory over these things. So, Lord, we ask you right now to work in our lives, to touch, to heal, restore. If God is revealing something to you, with your every head bowed, every eye closed, if God is revealing something to you today that you need to turn from, just, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Hallelujah. Keep that hand up. Lord, you see, my, you see these hands. You know the heart. You know what you're working. You're working on them. I don't have to. You're working on them. God, I pray for a special extra portion of your spirit in these lives whose hands are raised. Because they're saying, I am that person. I want victory in this area of my life. So, Lord, I pray a special touch of your spirit, a special uh, double portion of your power in their lives to address this issue and give them victory by your Holy Spirit. Lord, imbue them with power that they have forfeited to this point. And, God, I pray for stories of victory and thanksgiving and testimonies of your grace in these areas. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. You can put your hands down. Folks, God wants us to be a powerful church. And power in a church is not about an aura in a room. Power in the church is when individuals give themselves over to the power of the Holy Spirit, and those individuals get together in a group, which we call the church, and they impact the world around them. Let's be that church. Lord, be with my brothers and sisters as we go today. Bless us and keep us. Bring us back in full number next week. Help us to not sit in the back when we have an option to. <laughs> Lord, help us to be excited about what you're doing 
in our lives and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great week.